Welcome to the Inside Startup Investing Podcast powered by King's Crowd. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lestrino. From discussions with founders and VCs to industry experts and special guests, we want to provide you with the inside scoop on all things startup investing. Whether you're investing $50 a deal or $500,000 a deal, we have the stories you need to hear before clicking invest. From the metaverse to spaceflight and beyond, join us as we explore the world of startup investing for all. And now, on to this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Inside Startup Investing. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lestrino, founder and CEO of King's Crowd. And today, we are talking about wine. Uh, I, myself, am a huge wine fan. I used to live out about 45 minutes away from Napa Valley, uh, so became a huge kind of wine fan. I won't call myself a connoisseur because I certainly didn't know that much, but I very much enjoyed the experience um, and love the idea of being able to invest and own really nice high-end wines, uh, but without feeling guilty about spending a ton of money on wine just for the fun of it. Uh, and so this platform that we're meeting with today, uh, we're going to be speaking with co-founder and CEO of uh, VinoVest, and his name is Anthony Zhang, and he has built a solution to let you have fun, invest in wine, make some money, uh, and even have an opportunity to have some wine that you could enjoy. Uh, so this is going to be a really fun conversation. Up front, I am a user. I am a customer. I love the platform. I've used it for at least a couple of years now uh, and think the world of it. And if you're into wine at all, like myself, and are thinking about building your collection, this is a really fun way to do it in a way in which you're investing and feel as though you're doing something good rather than maybe wasteful. Um, so anyway, let's get into it. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us here today. Chris, it's a pleasure. And thanks for the awesome intro. Yeah, absolutely. So. Tell us about VinoVest. How did it come to be? And why are you excited about building it? Yeah, absolutely. So VinoVest is a way to diversify into fine wine and spirits, um, really allowing everybody to be able to invest in something that previously was only available to someone who is either ultra wealthy or ultra well connected or maybe obsessed with wine as well. So um, <laughs> I got into this space a few years back. I was in the alternative asset space. Um, so, you know, much like you, I was trying every investment platform out. You know, we were doing crypto, doing startup investing, we were doing wine, whiskey, watches. Um, and my now co-founder and I, like you, were, were into wine. Right? We liked the drinking component of it um, and realized that, hey, not only is this something that is fun as a collector, but um, the returns are pretty great as well. Uh, we had read a report in the Wall Street Journal talking about how wine had outperformed the S&P 500 over the past three decades. And, uh, you know, although that number kind of really drove it home for me, I wasn't really shocked, but we all know that wine gets better with age and, and, you know, more expensive with age as well. So we're like, all right, well, let's become wine investors. Um, realize very quickly that's not that easy to do with managing your own storage, managing where to buy these rare bottles, figuring out if they're in good condition or not. And then ultimately, out what's the right value for it if you you know if you did want to sell some and then drink some others how could you manage that easily uh, we didn't really see a solution that worked in the world so we decided to found vino bus and you know our goal is to bring everybody whether or not you like wine whether or not you know anything about wine uh you know really provide an accessible entry point for collectors and investors alike to be able to enter this really cool market fantastic so there's two ways in which you could use the VinoVest platform, right? There's kind of the portfolio management side, and then there's a, you could kind of buy and sell uh, individually different bottles and things like that. 
Can you talk about how those kind of differ and how they work? Yeah, so our managed product is the one that we launched with. It's still a core product. So this is something where uh, our users would come to us. They would select, all right, here's my budget I'm thinking about. Here's how long I'd like to hold these wines for. And then based on that, we've developed an algorithm that can actually help to build out a portfolio of wines from different regions, different vintages, and also show you the research and analysis and content that comes with it. So most people start out with this option, given that there are not that many wine investor experts out there. Um, they kind of trust us to be able to make those decisions. Um, the other side, the, sec the secondary marketplace is for folks who want to be a little bit more active and hands-on. So let's see, this is more of a, uh, for people who have that level of knowledge or maybe they've gained that level of knowledge throughout being a customer with us and they can set bids, offers for specific wines that they have their, their eye on, they can sell them all within the sort of safe uh, environment of VinoVest where every single bottle is already custodied, insured, stored properly. So there's no, um, you know, there's no sort of um, discrepancies between a bottle that you own and a bottle I own if it's the same bottle, which is one of the biggest problems and it creates a lot of friction in transacting wine today. Well, you mentioned something interesting, which is the, you know, the returns have actually been pretty outsized to a lot of different asset classes. Um, so first off, I'm curious what some of those returns look like historically. And the second thing that really interests me is who is driving this like growth in the investments, right? Who is, who is becoming the buyer of aging wines that drives up the price of these wines and leads to it having more value other than like a Sotheby's or something like that, where they auction off, you know, a bottle that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Who's kind of playing in this world where, you know, bottles are going from 200 to $600 a bottle. Like what is the market that is creating these gains? Yeah. So answer that second question first. It's really the consumption market, right? It's high end restaurants. It's not fancy wine shops, right? It's country clubs. It's, those people who are eventually going to drink that bottle, um, people love the taste of aged wine, right? So if you have two identical bottles, one's one year old, one's 10 years old, um, would you be willing to pay another $300 and not wait 10 years? For, for most people, the answer is yes, right? So when those wines are getting close to their maturity window, the, the, the consumers are really the main people who buy it um, and not just sort of proxies like auction houses who end up selling to consumers or collectors anyways. Um, talking about returns, according to the LiveX, which is kind of the benchmark data source in our industry, it's around 10% returns uh, pretty steadily over the last two and a half decades. Hmm. Fascinating. So one of the things that I also found really interesting is uh, when you sign up for a portfolio, it says, you know, you can take a more risky strategy, right? Kind of like when you're doing your stock and bond portfolios for your 401k, it's like, do you want to take a more risky strategy or you want to kind of take a, a tried and true model that has less returns, but is more kind of guaranteed is the right word, but more stable returns, right? Um, what is the distinction that leads to something being potentially more volatile? Is it the type of vineyard? What are those underlying factors that drive, you know, potentially higher returns, more risk or, you know, lower returns, but less risk? Yeah, great question. So first of all, it comes down to portfolio construction. Um, are you taking more concentrated portfolio positions, right? Maybe a third of your portfolio is in one asset, maybe not that much, um, versus a more well-diversified approach. Or it could be something like, are you betting on an up-and-coming region or a less, less known wine producer 
versus like a, a blue chip, right? An Apple or Amazon of the world. Uh, but to your point, we actually had a lot of questions about this over the last two years. Someone's definition of aggressive could be very different from another's definition of aggressive. So recently we've actually pivoted that uh, choosing the investment sell option to be more centered around their time horizons. Mm. So that it's really the most important determinant of, of returns is wanting to make sure that your anticipated selling window lines up with the age of the line to make sure that the demand in the market peaks uh, close to when you're looking to sell it. Uh, what is your bottles under management today? I think, you know, alone, I probably have 18 or 20 bottles that are kind of managed on the platform. How many bottles today do you, do you kind of. Oh, I think we're coming up on half a million bottles now. Wow. So what is the, the infrastructure look like to house and take care of all of those bottles? So we've been really fortunate to have worked with, um, some of the biggest fine wine storage facilities and companies in the world. And they've got multiple locations all around the world. So uh, many of our wines are in the UK, given that's traditionally been the center of the fine wine uh, commerce and trade globally. Uh, we've got wines in Bordeaux and Napa and Hong Kong now. So wherever there's a hotspot for wine commerce, we want to be able to store those wines. And they're all in the same condition in that they're temp temperature controlled, climate controlled. They're away from excess vibration as well as sunlight. And then they also have a robust third party insurance to protect the wine against anything that may happen to it. Hmm. One of the biggest questions I get when it comes to, frankly, all alternative investing um, is this idea of, okay, great. I, so I bought into this portfolio. Now I have 20, 30, 40 wines in my portfolio. Um, well, how do I go ahead and actually liquidate if it looks like there's real returns to be had there? So how does that process work on your end? Yeah, so on, the, on both platforms, you can choose when and where to liquidate. Uh, so. You can be able to list one of your wines for sale. You can set the price that you want. And a lot of people do that, right? They'll set a high limit order sometime into the future. They're like, all right, as long as this hits X percent, I'm out. I'm good with it. Hmm. Um, if it is in, uh, you know, something that is in our managed product, we'll also be constantly looking for opportunities. So maybe you're not looking to sell, but we receive an offer, right? Then we'd be like, all right, this is a pretty good deal. Let's, let's sell this wine for you. Let's use that cash. You can choose to just take the proceeds or buy, buy a nice bottle for you to drink at home or reinvest it into, into more bottles. So on the managed product, there's more, um, there's more guidance that we're able to provide. Um, but then users can be able to liquidate, you know, before or after the selling window. Sometimes it's maybe a bottle that's really sentimental, right? An anniversary year or kid's birth year, and they don't want to liquidate it, even though, you know, you could probably make a lot of money. That's still up to the client's decision as well. Um, we still see some people do that for you know small part of their portfolio as well. Now, when you're on the the app, um, you see that you know it'll show you kind of what the estimated gain or loss is, especially on a managed portfolio. Um, where are those numbers coming from? Is that coming from that index that you were mentioning earlier? Yeah, so we use a variety of third party data sources. LiveX is one of those big ones. Um, there are a few others all around the world like it, and they show us live data you know, on hourly, daily, weekly basis. So we're able to pull live transaction data and be like, all right, um, in addition to the transactions that are happening on VinoVest, we're also supplementing with third, tar third party data because we realize you know, we're still young, we don't, we don't have the full picture of the market. So that's our sort of way of providing a more comprehensive picture on what's trading now, you know, what's trending up, what's trending down. 
Now, is the fine wine industry, is it relatively liquid or is it something where like, if you say, okay, I want to sell, it could take you, you know, a few weeks, a month, a couple of months to actually liquidate a portfolio? Yeah, I think it really depends on the wine and on the maturity window. Um, I'd say comparing it to, you know, equities, which most people are invested in, it's much less liquid than that, right? As long as the market's open, you could probably find another buyer on, a, on one of your stocks. On the wine market, much less liquid, right? If it's something where it's hit the maturity window, everyone's going to want it. You could probably sell something within the hour or less. If it's something where everyone's still sitting on it and aging on it, you're going to have a much harder time finding a buyer. Uh, and also, obviously, the price matters, right? If you're, if you're setting it at or near market price, you'll get much better liquidity than if you're setting something unrealistically high. Is there a window that's typically the maturity window for wines or does it really differ kind of by type of wine? Yeah, it differs by type of wine. And that's something that we're going to be continually improving and adding to the product is showing you more specific selling windows. So right now it's more on like a region by region basis. We have general mm -hmm. guidance. Um, and right now actually our, our head of wine and wine trading team are working on actually creating individual selling windows. So not only do you, do you know like what the average Bordeaux should, you know, hold for, you can know your specific Bordeaux, which I think will, you know, be really awesome and add a whole other layer of knowledge for our users. Now you talked about how different regions, up and coming regions, you know, they might have more volatile pricing because they're kind of unknown vineyards and they're up and coming, um, versus somewhere like Bordeaux, pretty well established. Um, what are some of the regions that you're seeing for investors that are kind of interested in that, that are on, on kind of the up and coming trajectory? So I would say in terms of up and coming regions, South America is definitely on our radar. So primarily mm. Chile, a little bit of Argentina, um, and then a lot more I'd say are, are on the sort of newer or maybe like newer management that's reviving an old brand. Um, the wine world, it's, uh, you know, it's very, very long-term, right? Like it takes a whole year to be able to even have a harvest and then another two years before the bottle even comes out and then another five to 10 years before you realize it's any good. So up and comers are a very relative term. It's like, oh, I heard about this winery 10 years ago. They're an up and cover, but not, not kind of like exploding into the scene. No one's heard of them three months ago type of thing. Right, right. No, that makes a ton of sense. And what is, a, you, you mentioned that you have a, a head of wine, which probably is a really cool job, but what is the sourcing process to identify the wines that then get listed for investment on the platform? Yeah, so that's, that's part of what our wine trading team and, and our, and our um, folks on the data side work with is being able to identify trends, regions that we think are, are going to be really strong choices for our, for our clients. And then we'll also target buying price ranges, right? We don't want to overpay or um, for, for an asset, even though it's a quality asset. So those are kind of the, the combination of factors that leads to our sort of investment allocation strategy. And then we'll go out and actually work with our supplier partners to actually source and, and get these wines for the right price. Earlier, you, you kind of said that um, if you want to liquidate your portfolio in the form of actually taking the wine and bring it to your house and enjoying it, that's possible. How does that process work? Do you literally just reach out to the platform, then they'll mail it to you? Yeah, yeah. So you reach out, you're like, hey, I want to liquidate this case, or hey, I want to actually drink this case, right? Then we'll give you your sort of estimated shipping wherever the wine is, so where you are. Um, and you just pay those third-party shipping charges. Um, so Sweet. definitely saw a lot of it around the holidays, but for the yeah. most part, folks are pretty long-term, right? 
most people just joined the platform the last one or two years hmm. and they're waiting a little bit longer, you know, holding their wines to maturity before wanting to, to do something with it. Got it. Now there's another line that I, I know you're either getting ready to launch or is already kind of in market, which is whiskey vest, which I think is pretty self-explanatory. You're getting into the whiskey space as well. Um, talk to us one a little bit about how that looks and how it might differ. But the, the more interesting thing for me would be to understand what are some of the kind of material differences between investing in wine versus investing in whiskey and what that looks like? Yeah, great question. So the, the key difference that we're offering is that you're investing in whiskey that's still in the barrel versus mm. on the wine side, you're investing in bottles of wine. The key reason is that the maturation process and the aging happens in the barrel for whiskey, right? Like a Macallan 18 is going to be worth more than a Macallan 12 because it has six more years of barrel age. Uh, for wine, the barrel age doesn't really matter, right? It's the bottle age and the vintage that really matter as it, as it kind of goes on in its lifetime. So uh, those are kind of the main key differences. And then in terms of how it works, very similar to Vino Vest. You'll, uh, it's something that we haven't launched publicly yet, but we've been able to onboard a few hundred investors on board so far. And you know, same, you, know, you get the storage, you get the insurance, you get the data around your whiskey cast. And then also recommendations on like, all right, here's how old it is, right? Maybe you've got a 11 year cast. You want to hold it until it's 18 years, right? Then you know that your, your timeline is going to be seven years, for example. In terms of that, are you literally buying barrels and having them stored in certain facilities? And then how would they ever in fact get bottled? Yeah. So we're buying entire barrels. Uh, so like our scotch is in Scotland, American hmm. bourbon stuff to the, here in the States. Um, and we work really closely with our suppliers and distillers because they're the ones that are going to be, you know, the eventual bottler and sure. they want to be able to monitor, right? What's, what's the ABV of the cast? What's the flavor profile looking like? What's the remaining volume, right? There's a lot of evaporation that happens in the barrels, especially as they get older. So, um, you know, they, they play a pretty active role in making sure that this, you know, this barrel is something that is eventually going to be bottled and commercialized. Now, a bottle is obviously harder to split up than a bottle, which is small, right? So in a barrel, it's it's really big. So you probably have to have a whole lot of money to own the entire barrel. Otherwise, I guess it's being fractionalized. How do you go about the fractionalization process? And then how does one be able to sell when you're only selling a portion of an overall barrel instead of just a bottle that you wholly own? Yeah, so simply put, we don't. Uh, you only can buy the whole thing. <laughs> because of those nuances and complications that you just mentioned. Um, Understood. I think it's really important to allow people to have the full ownership over their asset, right? Um, wine and whiskey are things that people drink, right? And we want to be able to maintain that. Um, I know there's a lot of fractional sites out there. Um, and it makes sense for some asset classes, but I think especially with something that you can take home and drink and enjoy, uh, we want to be able to have that you know, real life connection as well. Now, are there any other asset classes that you're thinking about in the future? Um, probably just more in the alcohol space. I think it's something that requires a lot of expertise and deep industry knowledge. And we're already finding that a lot of the learnings that we have on the wine side are very applicable to the whiskey side. Of course, many nuances and learnings we'll have to do when we go to say tequila or rum or any other age spirits. Um, and that's really the, the realm that we want to play in. That's really cool. Um, obviously there's quite a bit of process management that you're handling on your end. Uh, so for investors, what does the fee structure look like? How do you get paid? 
Yeah, so we have a fee structure that's between two and two and a half percent a year. Uh, that covers you know, the storage, the insurance, the, the acquisition, and everything in between. Uh, that's how we make money on the managed side. And then on the marketplace, you know, we charge a transaction fee to buyers and sellers every single time we're able to match a transaction. Do you allow people to invest out of their IRA? Because I know that's a big question that comes up all the time. Yeah, it's a big question. I wish we could, but currently you know, the IRS doesn't allow you to invest in collectibles, which wine and whiskey uh, hmm. are all out of the same category. So back to your fractionalization point, if we did securitize the asset, you could invest in it as an IRA, which is you know, very, very attractive. Um, and yeah. we do have a, a third party partnership with the public um, on, on doing that exact thing. So folks can invest in fractional shares that represent wine and whiskey portfolio through their IRAs, but that's a separate offering than the core VinoVest offering that we have on our, our website. Oh, that's really interesting. So if you have an account over at Republic and you're an investor in their startups, there's opportunities that will present where you can invest in a fractional share of a wine collection or a whiskey collection, correct? Just to be clear. Exactly. Exactly. And you could use your IRA. Wow. That is very interesting. Unfortunate that the IRS would block us from doing such a thing. It seems like such a good thing to be able to invest in wine and whiskey out of your IRA, <laughs> especially because it's an asset you could very much enjoy in your retirement. So I, you know, exactly. I really don't get it. <laughs> they don't want, they don't want you to be using your retirement funds to drink a bunch of nice wine and whiskey. I that's, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess not. That, that's a fair point, I guess. Um, well, I see that you have a, a wine fridge behind you, so I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, what is one of your favorite wines? You know, if, if you could only All drink right. one wine the rest of your life, what would it have to be? That's tough. I, I definitely hope to never be put in that position, but <laughs> I'd say I, I love white burgundy. Um, so it's a Chardonnay from, from that region in France. I think it's just very versatile. You can have really like, really sort of like lean, more sort of fruit driven, really sort of acidic um, sort of type of wines that go well with you know, oysters or cheese and things like that. You can have even richer dishes with, with kind of more oak driven Chardonnays, more minerally ones that can go well with, you know, even poultry, fish, things that are, you know, I think more, more for the winter season. And it's something that I drink year round. Um, I think living in Southern California, it's hard to drink a lot of red wine in the summer, uh, unless you're just barbecuing. So yeah, that's the thing I love about wine, right? There's just, a wine for every occasion, but if we were to pinpoint to one, I'd, I'd probably stick with a white wine for, for versatility. Love it. For those who are interested in getting started and utilizing the VinoVest platform, where can they go? What should they do? So VinoVest.co is our website. Um, so you can be able to sign up directly, create an account. Uh, we've got awesome folks there that also talk and, and walk you through any questions that you may have. And we also have regular webinars too. So we know that uh, this is something that's new for most people. Education is really at the forefront of what we do here at VinoVest, and we want you to make sure that you have all the info that you need to be able to make a good decision. Fantastic. Well, I wish I was being paid for this, but we're not paid for this. I can just genuinely tell you as a customer, as a user, investor on the platform, um, I think really, really highly of the company, of the product that they offer. It's a lot of fun. It's a great way to get up to speed and kind of building your collection. Um, and having an investment. And I, I've been able to buy and sell a few wines on the secondary market. Uh, my overall managed portfolio is, is slowly but surely growing. Um, so it's a really, really neat and unique investment product. Um, very much unlike a lot of the other things that are out there. 
So if you're into wine at all, I highly recommend checking them out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and Anthony, thank you so much for building what you're building. Thank you very much for your support as, as a user and as a supporter. Thanks so much for the time. Really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, everyone, as always, for listening in to the Inside Startup Investing Podcast. If you would like to invest in King's Crowd and learn more about our entire business, you can go to invest.kingscrowd.com. We hope you join us on the journey. 